So our church is, as a desire, as a leadership, what we want to be about is gathering to go with the presence of Jesus. Gathering to go with the presence of Jesus. And so in the fall, and actually going back to August, we really focused on presence. For three weeks, we talked about what does God's presence mean And then in the fall, we spent 10 weeks in a row, maybe 11 weeks, 10, 11 weeks, talking about prayer, about intimacy, about getting close to God, talking with God, and about intercession, about praying for others. And how do we do that? Because prayer is a way to make ourselves aware of his presence, to invite his presence to move in ways that we can see it and know it and be guided by him, his tangible presence. He is present everywhere. But he's not present everywhere in the same way. He wants to be present in specific ways somewhere to people who want his presence with them. So that's what we talked about. And we we had over 100 people say they would pray for at least five hours on site here during, during the fall. I think many, most did at least that. I know some even prayed five hours, average five hours a week during that stretch, praying here on site. We have... Since then, people have said, we want to make sure someone is praying here every day, all the time. So I was out of state uh, for six days, but we have still had someone coming to pray on site, mostly, almost every day, it's been more than one person who has come, even when it was negative 30 wind chill and there was snow blizzard, even, even through on Christmas Day, even... There are people who are saying, we will show up to pray. So we are going to focus on gathering now, this winter, and even into the spring. We're going to talk about gathering, but that doesn't mean we're going to stop being a people about his presence. There is opportunity to continue praying, to continue signing up on our website so that you can come use the prayer room. You know, Monday or Sunday through Thursday, you can make a reservation. Friday or Saturday, you can email uh, Camille at CelebrateChurch.com or, the church, or the, contact the church office and say, hey, I'd like to get in, and you get access code to get in to pray here or somewhere else in the building. We want to continue to be a people of, of prayer. We want to continue to be a people who are inviting God's presence. That's what changes things, is that there is a real God, that he is alive, and that when, he makes him, when we pray, he tends to make himself known more. And so we want to be a people who are about that. But we also want to be a people who are gathering. Gathering to pray, but gathering for all sorts of other reasons. And so we are going to do this winter, we're going to talk about practice gathering. How do we practice gathering? Why do we practice gathering? What do we do when we gather? It's not just gathering for any old reason. What kinds of things are we supposed to gather about so that we can go with his presence? so that we can be the light of the world filled with his Holy Spirit, filled with his presence, and people can come to know Jesus. How does that work? How does our gathering impact that? And so for the next eight weeks, we are going to focus primarily, or our foundational passage will be these six verses from Acts. We will look at other verses each week, but we're going to mainly look at these six verses from Acts 2, starting with verse 42, where it says, They, this is the group of people who believe in Jesus, where the church is formed, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, 
at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I want to look at verse 46 out of this. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I want to point out two things about this. One is they got together every day. They joined together every day. And in a moment, we're going to talk about what they were devoted to in their gathering, in their joining, joining together. But they did it every day. Where? Every day in the temple courts. Every day they left their home. They went to church. They gathered together. But they didn't just come to church for the things that would help them gather and grow. No, they also went into each other's homes, being devoted to things that would help them to gather and to grow every day. Every day. Now, here's my question. Have we, as Americans in the 21st century who call ourselves Christians, have we graduated from that? Do we not need to meet together every day? Do we not even need to meet together every week? I mean, when we can, maybe two, three times a month, maybe once in a while. Is it, are we just, do we have a relationship with Jesus, a connection with the living God that's, that's because we're Americans living in the 21st century with lots of resources at our disposal, we don't need to show up very often with others. Because we so have something internally within us, we don't need other people to help us, encourage us in our faith. We don't, we don't need to do that every week. I mean, when we can. Much less every day. Well, that would, based on attendance patterns in the United States of America, that would seem to be the answer. That although there's still a pretty good percentage of people who say, I am a Christian... The amount of people that come to church more than once a month that say they're a Christian is very low, 20%. Less than 20% come more than once a month. I might not be precise on that, but it is in the range. So I'm a Christian, I'm good, and uh, you know, I'll show up every once in a while. Otherwise, but I'll, otherwise I'll just take it out because I'm a spiritual person. Did they, did they just overdo it back then? And now we know better? Or is there a way that we should be gathering more than we do for the purpose of encouraging each other in our faith? Maybe in a, like a church building or other place, you know, kind of public place, or maybe in our homes. But should we, here's what I want, could, could we consider that maybe a good thing to shoot for would be to gather with other believers for the purpose of growing more than once a week. They did it every day. Wow, I'm really camping out here. This is not, but I got to keep moving. But I think this is key. I think it's key for us to think about, you know, what seems normal to us. Is that based on what God says we should be doing 
Or is it based on what the world says? That is key, and I'm going to come back to that. So what did they do, though? What was their, it's not just that they got together. I get together with people every day. You get together with people every day. You're around people every day. But what was the intention? What were they devoted to? They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so, for these eight weeks, we're going to talk about those four things. We're going to give two weeks to the apostles' teaching, two weeks to fellowship, two weeks to breaking of bread, and two weeks to prayer, because how they would understand those things isn't necessarily the first thing that would come to our minds. So, for instance, what does it mean to be devoted to the apostles' teaching? Well, what it meant for them is they actually had the apostles right there teaching them. What does it mean for us? What does the apostles' teaching look like for us? So, what we're going to talk about this morning is the apostles' teaching that we have reported right before this 3,000 group of 3,000 people started saying, we're going to meet together every day. They did that on an apostles' teaching. Some of that teaching we have collected for us in this book, in this Bible, and so we're going to look at it now. So here, let me give you the context. I'm going to give you the context of the first, I don't know how many verses, and then we're going to read some of what the apostle Peter's teaching was. So the context is, there's a group of 120 people, men and women, who've been joining together constantly to pray for the 10 days after Jesus ascended into heaven. He had died on the cross, he had showed himself alive for 40 days, he ascended into heaven, and he said, go to Jerusalem and wait till I send the Holy Spirit. So they joined together constantly in prayer, waiting, longing, asking for the Spirit to come. The Spirit does come. How do they know? Well, it sounded like wind. It sounded like a storm. How did they know? Well, they saw flames of fire over each other's head. How did they know? Well, they started speaking in other languages. This happened to happen at Pentecost. Not happened to. God designed it to happen at Pentecost, which was a time when other people who were God-fearing Jews but lived in different parts of the world of the Roman Empire, they came together for the festival of Pentecost. So when they started coming out speaking in other languages, people were like, we understand it. People from all over the Mediterranean world understood this language, this language, this language. They're speaking in our language. And some people said, they're drunk. And Peter gets up and says, look, hey, it's too early for us to have tied one on. It's only this time in the, in the morning. There's, there's no way that we're these people are drunk yet. No, this is what it is. It's the fulfillment of, of the prophet Joel where God says, in the last days I will pour out my spirit on the people and young men will see visions and old men will dream dreams. Or maybe, I can't remember which one. Anyway, God's going to pour out his spirit. Multiple times he's going to pour out his spirit. That's what you're seeing right now. And then here's the teaching that comes from the apostle Peter's mouth. Verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So the apostles' teaching is about Jesus. And you'll notice I said Jesus of Nazareth was a man, a human being, 
um, this man, this human being, was handed over to you. So it was God, but he was clearly a man-human being. That's what part of the uh, uh, emphasis of the apostles' teaching. It wasn't just God, Jesus, like a floaty God. He was a human being. And he was handed over, and he was crucified, and he was uh, raised from the dead. That's part of the teaching. Now, he starts to quote a psalm and talk about David. I'm going to talk about that next week. So skipping down to verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. So in this teaching, talking about God, there is a Father. There is God who is in heaven, our Father. There is Jesus who he's talking about there, the God-man, who is God but also became a human being and somehow is both at the same time. And there is the Holy Spirit who's being poured out, who, is, who can be in our hearts, who can be moving around us, God's Spirit himself, all of that three aspects of one God. That's part of the apostles' teaching. Verse 36, therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He comes and he says, I want to tell you about Jesus. God, who became a human being, who died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, who gave himself over, he came out of love for you. This, he's the Messiah, the Savior. He comes to rescue us, to save us, to forgive us. He's the Messiah. He's the one we need and we long for. He is also the Lord. He is in charge. And one day we will give an account to him, and he will judge the living and the dead. And so here's our chance he has come for us. He's come to rescue us and save us. The one who's in charge. The one who one day will put all things right. The one who, who sits on the throne. He is in charge, but he came to us now as a savior and rescuer. And so that's it. It's right there. It's for us. Verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So G Peter has just explained, God came as a human being for you, for you. Death could not, he died for you, but death could not hold him down. He didn't just rise and stay on the earth. He ascended to the heaven. He's sitting on the throne. He poured out his spirit for whoever wants it, and he will come again to judge us. He is in charge. And they say, wow, that probably has a lot of implications. What should we do? What's the apostle's teaching, the apostle Peter's teaching about how people are supposed to respond to what Jesus has done, to who Jesus is, to what is coming in the future with Jesus? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Repent, change the way you think. Change the way you think in such a way that your actions will change accordingly and you will go in a different direction. So that if you are going in the opposite way of God, you change the way you think and you turn and now you will live differently because you are thinking differently because you are going the way that Jesus wants you to go. And be baptized, be immersed in the reality of who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just That's your whole life permeating your life. Be baptized. Be baptized not just into the reality of who God is, but be baptized as a sign that you are joining the community of the others who are doing it. 
you are committed to the community of the others. Baptism is a sign that we're saying yes to God. I need you. Wash me. Forgive me. Immerse me. Every, I want to be filled with you. I want my life to be all about you. And it's the sign. And so I'm going to be, about the, be committed to the community that's also that. Whether I like them or not, whether they're like me or not, that's who I'm connected to now. That's my number one identity. I'm a child of God, so I'm part of his family, and I'm committed to it. Verse 39, the promise is for you and your children, and for all you who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, i got to figure out which order I went in. All right. So, Ezra, what's the next verse? Can you just go ahead and give it to me? Okay. In, in our Bibles, and this is how I've always read it, he, he says, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And then it's like a new heading, the Fellowship of the Believers, and we get to what I had read initially. But in the original way the scriptures come to us, there's no break there. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and there's about 3,000 of them, and those who accepted his message also, verse 42, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And they met together every day. If you look at verse 46, they met together every day. So the response to the gospel, to the good news message that Jesus came, that God loves us, that he came for us, that we have the, op- the offering to us, the offer made to us for the forgiveness of sins and for God himself, his spirit, to become into our lives, into us in a real and powerful way and to be with us always, the response to that was to say, okay, we're going to get baptized. We're going to publicly say, I am identifying, my number one identity is as a child of God with the community of the believers, and now I am going to join together constantly. Now, when I read this passage in the past, I will just stop at the break, and I will think like it's a one-time deal. Like if I, okay, yes, I need forgiveness of sins. Yes, I believe in Jesus. I put my faith in Jesus. I made that decision, and so now I just move on, and I'm good. Instead of realizing the response isn't just, yes, I believe in you and I give my life to you, but it's, yes, I believe in you, I give my life to you, and that means that the rest of my life changes and I'm joining with other people. I'm committed to being with other people who are going that same path. We're going to do the same thing. We're going to be devoted to it. The apostles' teaching lends itself to because of what God has done and because of his invitation to join him, we also just keep moving. We trust God so much. We trust him with our life after death. We also trust him with our life right now. And here's what he says is best. Let's get together. So we can encourage one another in our faith regularly. Why? Because with many other words, he warned them, you got to save yourself from this corrupt generation. Now, is that corrupt generation just the really bad Romans? Well, last, last time I'm going to pull up a verse here, I think. Verse 23, what I read, this man, this human being, this Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, 
And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Here's what I want you to know, notice. Is that who Peter is talking to is religious people. I had this thought that, boy, it doesn't seem like January 1st would be the best time to talk about the reason we gather together is a response to the gospel. Because most likely, the people who come on January 1st are going to be some of the most committed people to God. We should pick a, a more convenient Sunday so that people can hear the gospel. But then I realize that what this, who this is talking to, who Peter is talking to, is people who are willing to travel the world at great expense to come and worship God at Pentecost. This isn't the Roman Empire. The wicked men, if you look in the footnote, the literal meaning is those without the law. So who put Jesus to death? Well, it was the Jewish people who were saying to, to Pilate, the Roman person, crucify him, crucify him. That was the religious people. That was the people who showed up on Christmas Eve, on New Year's Day. They showed up. They knew enough about that. But did they really want to follow Jesus when the rubber met the road? Eh. Religious people, nobody likes, these days, nobody likes to call themselves a religious person. It sounds stuffy or something. Whatever you want to call it. Church-going people, non-church-going people, we all need Jesus. And we all need him every day. And without us even realizing it, we can be going the exact opposite direction that Jesus is leading us. Because we're, we, what feels normal to us, because it's what, where everyone else seems to be going, is not what's normal here. For instance, it is normal to be devoted tons of time to Netflix or video games or watching football or shopping or Amazon. That is just normal. It is normal to be part of all our activities and our kids' activities. It's just normal. But to say, like, I don't have time to gather with other people more than once a week for the purpose of encouraging my faith... Repent. Change the way you think. God has said, I have come for you. I love you. I have called you to be my holy people. Holy, separate, different, live differently. And I just don't think we can do that once a week or less. A little bit of time together. Now, it's not just the same thing. It's not just to come here boring sermons. It's not, you know, if singing isn't your thing. You know, that's not the only reasons. We're going to talk about apostles' teaching, breaking of bread, fellowship, prayer. We're going to talk about different aspects of how we gather with, together and encourage each other. It's not just like a Sunday morning worship service all the time. But I think we think it's just normal and okay, and we're still good. But we're going in the opposite direction. Are we, are we just, have we graduated from needing to get together constantly, often, to encourage one another in our faith? You know, I've learned a lot from the Ukrainian immigrants and refugees. 
talking to them about, you know, they go to, I don't know what it is they speak. There's Russian, there's Belarusian, there's Ukrainian, there's all the like These people, it's funny. Because I, I kind of chuckle when they talk. I got a good news for you, Andrew. You know, I think, oh, these funny, funny Ukrainian people. You know, five languages. And I chuckle at the way they do English. I know one language. And yeah, that's even so. So, anyway, they go to Sheraton where they, you know, it's, it's in their language that they can speak. So I say, what do you, you know, how often do you go to church? Well, you know, we go Sunday morning, then Sunday night, and then. You know, there's Wednesday Bible study, there's Friday prayer, there's this, the youth night. Like, they're driving down. These, they don't have a lot of money. Gas costs a lot. They're driving down multiple times a week to join together different ways. It's, it's Acts 2.42. Well, sometimes we eat meals together, and sometimes we study the scripture, eat meals, do the prayer meeting, do the worship. Wow. And then having had a chance to go into their home. And they eat together. So we had a two and a half hour worship service that we were at. Then they, we eat to, with them. We were going to have lunch. Lunch started at 4.30. This isn't lunch. This is fasting until an early dinner. That's what I was thinking. Like, I wasn't told. That that's what... But then right before Camille and I left, they break out the accordion a little stringed instrument, and the Goodale family stayed, and they just worshipped. And they worshipped, just in the home, singing. And he said, I couldn't understand, Eric said, I couldn't understand the words, but I could just feel the Spirit of God as they sang. And he found out that the people that live in that home, for one thing, this will get into fellowship, they had, there's a family of seven that allowed the family of 14 to be living with them in their basement. And they, two of the people that can play the instruments, every night, sometimes till midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., worshiping God. Because they don't have TV. Now, when, when people look at the Ukrainian church, it is easy or the Ukrainian people here in this town, it's easy to say, well, they're not in this, and they're not in that, and they're not doing this, and you know, they're just not quite fully with, with it, with us yet. But I wonder what heaven thinks. I wonder if heaven is saying, like, you want to know who's with it? Because again, maybe if you haven't heard, I think I've brought it up more than one time, I know I did Christmas Eve, like, these people are full of joy. And they're willing to do anything for anybody. They're generous to us. They're, they're just, well, it makes sense. They have a lot of God in their life. They orient their life around God. I, you know, some of us who are parents, I think it's good to go to our kids' activities. I will go to kids' activities most days. I have been in my life. I've looked at my calendar for January and February, and I'm glad. I enjoy going to my kids' activities. But I think we do a disservice to our kids if we say, I'm going to be at every one of your activities all the time. But in terms of gathering to encourage faith with other people, it's optional. We have shown our kids what's most important to them. And I'm still going to you know, be able to watch TV and do Netflix and do this. And do this and the, I'm still going to do all that. 
But to gather once a week, every week, when we got tournaments, when we got this, no. To gather more than once a week? I mean, You know, the other thing that I'm kind of in getting ready for this series that I've been reflecting on is I often feel bad because there are families, especially some of our staff families, some of our elder families who are here all the time and they're doing stuff all the time. And I think, oh man, these kids, I don't want them to grow up hating church because they're here all the time and they're serving in this way and they're doing this thing. But then, you know what? I'm kind of watching. The families that are most here all the time, they're the ones that seem to most love the Lord. I mean, there's a way we could do it that would be legalistic. They're the ones who are still going to church after they leave high school, which is a pretty small percentage. And, and then I start to wonder, like, maybe... Maybe I shouldn't feel bad about how certain families are doing so much. I mean, another thing, another group would be these people who are doing the food pantry and they're doing the speeders and they're doing, and they're here all the time. Like, oh, these poor people, we, we don't want to, because we don't want to burn people out. But the reality is they have the, their faith is like this because they're here a lot because they're encouraging each other with their faith because they're serving, because they're growing, because they're praying. They're here. So maybe it's like, we haven't given enough opportunity to say like, hey, can y'all clean up? Hey, can you do this? Hey, whoever wants to, because the people who are around the most, and it doesn't have to be here in the church. The well, the people that are there, that are connecting, that are volunteering, that's who's growing. The people that are coming to youth group and they go on the church, that's who's growing. So the invitation is, how can we gather together more? I'm going to tell you, I don't have the answers. It's not a one-size-fit-all. But I will say this. Some of the best groups that I've been part of where I have grown, where I've seen growth, are the groups where it's like we just kind of got thrown together, but it had to do with, with faith. If we're waiting for our perfect group at the perfect night on the perfect day that meets the perfect thing, that studies the perfect thing or does the perfect... Good luck on the Perfect. But it's just like, well, I'm going to just try getting together for a little while with some people. I'm just going to show up and pray. We have guys who are coming in. We didn't ask them to. It's nobody's nothing from staff. No, they just say, hey, can we come in at 6 a.m. to pray? We're going to come from 6 a.m. to 7 to pray. We want this, they, this building be a place where we pray, where lots of people pray, where they come to pray, where all of you know you can come and pray. May this building be a place where we gather where we gather to grow. That can look all sorts of ways, but we can have our people, hey, can we use this building because we want to grow in this way? May it be a place where we are gathering to pray and gathering to grow and, and just becomes contagious. I'm telling you, faith can become contagious when we lay aside idols and, and promote the creator God and say, we want to be all about you, Jesus, and so we'll even arrange our schedule to make sure you're in there. I think, Look out. Look out. Because we can sing songs, you're worth my whole life, I'll give you everything. But I mean, my calendar's kind of set. 
I do need to play five to 10 hours of video games. And I mean, showing up more than one hour, hour and a half at church once a week. That's finding a way to get, I don't know. I think I've made my point, probably belabored it too long. So here's what we want to do this morning. We're here to gather by the gospel. By the way, you know, I don't want to put a guilt to me. You guys showed up on January 1st in the morning. Yes, that is part of gathering. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to be the joy kill thing or guilt to the, but I do think we should think about it. We're not doing ourselves any favors if we think like, hey, great, I'm good for the month. Like, let's, Jesus is alive every day. He's got stuff for us every day. He can help us every day. And so we probably, almost none of us are going to gather with others every day for this purpose. But we can think about like, well, how, how much do we want to? And let's shoot for something a little bit more than just a couple times a month. Let's get together. So in a couple weeks, we'll have groups that'll meet for five or six weeks. Just try it out. If you, if you just let us know that you want to be part of something and we'll figure out. We don't know what it's going to be yet. But, but let's gather. Let's be devoted to the things that people who said yes to the gospel were devoted to right away. These are the people who had nothing going for them. And yet, this group of 120, then 3,000, with very little power or influence, even in the Jewish world, much less the Roman Empire, turned the whole thing upside down. Let's be those people.